Stay tuned for Time to Talk with host Jennifer Graziano of Zion Memorial Chapel and Cox and Graziano Funeral Homes. Jennifer is here to discuss a sensitive subject we all need to talk and think about. Here now is Jennifer Graziano and Time to Talk. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, and that means it's time to talk with me, Jen Graziano. I'm an attorney and licensed funeral director who oversees my family's funeral homes, Cox and Graziano of both the Marinick and Greenwich, the Zoya Memorial Chapel of Westchester, and now the Fred D. Knapp and Some Funeral Home of Greenwich. Every week, I come to you discussing important topics and sensitive matters that all of us need to pause and reflect upon at some point, and through this show, I hope to provide a platform to do so. So today, um, we're still in the month of October, and there's a lot of heavy subjects in October. We stop and we pause for breast cancer awareness. There's a lot of awareness um, of different causes. But one of the causes that um, an often silent cause, a silent pain for many, is domestic violence, which takes on many forms that go from physical to emotional to mental and regardless of the form, uh, they all leave scars. So we want to bring some attention to this dark subject today, help to shed some light on it. And for that, I have um, licensed mental health counselor, Justine Carino, with me. Hi, Justine. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be on the show, and I'm very grateful to dive into this topic with you. Well, thank you. So full disclosure, how I came to find you is, you know, you're up at night, you're searching Instagram reels and your phone, your smartphone is a lot smarter than you realize. So you start to find one topic and then everybody else trickles in. But you have this amazing Instagram. Your handle is thoughts from the couch, which I think is very, very catchy, very great. Um, and you really do a lot to help raise awareness to all aspects of mental health. So tell us a bit about yourself and talk a bit about how the whole model of therapy and mental health counseling, how that whole paradigm has really shifted in this post-COVID world. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you for the Instagram account. And that's part of what this shift has been in terms of the mental health industry. But yeah, and thank you for the introduction. Yes, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. I own a private practice in White Plains, New York. So I meet with people in person and virtually. I work with as young as 15 and through adult years, I do individual therapy, couples, and family therapy. Um, specifically, I niche more with anxiety treatments, um, but I also treat depression, family conflict, um, couple conflict, you name it. Um, and also have a podcast called Thoughts from the Couch. And, you know, this therapy model, you know, when we're in school, when we're in graduate school being trained to become therapists, we're kind of taught you need to be this blank slate. Um, your client shouldn't know anything about you. You kind of have to hide behind the four walls of your office and show up for your client, which is a really outdated model for, I think, how the world is today and how people want to relate to each other today. Um, there, You can't help but be curious about the person you're talking to. So I don't self-disclose everything, obviously, in my therapy sessions. It's not appropriate. But there's this new way of therapists helping people get information about mental health. And I think that's through media now. Um, it really wasn't part of social media before. And I think the pandemic really sprouted this. 
Um, and so people just, you know, therapists started putting some content out there to help people, you know, think about their mental health in a new way. Mental health has been such a taboo topic. No one really would talk about it. Mm -hmm. And pandemic hits, everyone has some kind of relationship to some kind of trauma during that time that we kind of wanted to support each other. So therapists started really getting out into the world and not hiding behind the four office walls. So I started my um, Instagram account when I started my practice and I didn't put much thought into it and it became a lot more intentional as time has gone on. Um, and that's where my podcast sprouted was during the pandemic too. I wanted to have some conversations around mental health. It's so important. And I think, um, one of the benefits is just the accessibility now. I mean, when people like myself, you're seeing these reels, you're seeing, you know, these therapists kind of just conveying their thoughts or, uh, you know, it makes you stop and reflect about your own situations. Um, it kind of validates that what you're feeling is it's, it's real. It's a feeling. It's something that you need to pay attention to. I think overall, the collective awareness to mental health has been a great thing because, Absolutely. you know, especially if you grow up in a, you know, Italian American household like myself, it was build a bridge and move over it. And, um, you know, having a young child myself, I've become a little bit more aware of, um, you, you have to kind of address things. And by nature, I'm always one to hunt the elephants in the room, like, and call them out. And a lot of people don't do that. But I think what you're doing is bringing the elephants in the room to the surface, which ultimately could only yield positive benefits. So, and what we're talking about today, Justine, we're talking about now, this is not specifically for women, but, uh, you know, probably many women, maybe more than men will fall into this category. We're talking about um, emotional and mental trauma, emotional and mental abuse. Um, first of all, we'll start by saying physical abuse is absolutely horrific. And anybody who has suffered that um our hearts and minds go out to them. You need to seek help. You need to keep yourself in safe situations and, and find whatever channels available to remove yourself from an unsafe situation. But today we're going to focus a bit more on the mental and emotional impacts, not to diminish the other side, but to raise awareness to the quieter side often because these don't leave the physical scars, but people who have suffered this, um, they carry them. Um, prolonged mental and emotional abuse really makes you question your sanity, makes you question your self-worth, makes you question the time of day. I mean, you'll be looking outside, you're seeing it's sunny, but yet you can't trust that the weather is going to be good today. Um, you know, you, you, you see it's one o'clock on the on, on your phone, you're looking at the time, but you don't even trust that. It starts to unravel this basic foundational trust that you have. Um, so I want to talk to you today about your advice for women going through this um, and to acknowledge it and put a face on it and, and show that, you know, these are forms of abuse that need to be addressed and dealt with. Absolutely. Um, I think, first of all, we tend to assume that people who are struggling, women who are struggling with emotional and physical abuse in our mind might be of a certain race, culture, socioeconomic status, right? None of that is true, right? Any race, any culture, any level of socioeconomic status, any type of education, you could be so highly educated and still find yourself in a position of being a victim of emotional and physical abuse. So I want to put that out there. Um, and 
people are sometimes surprised and people will say, oh my gosh, she is so smart. How did she end up in this position? Or she is just so many resources or she's this, she's that. And there's some judgment, um, which I want to destigmatize, right? It, it, it doesn't, emotional abuse, physical abuse can show up in any woman's life, right? Um, I like how you were saying you start to kind of lose trust in yourself when you're a victim in this situation. Like what time of day is it? What is the weather really like? Is the sky really blue? I think that is such a great way to describe it because a lot of victims of this abuse, or we call them survivors still, the survivors of the abuse lose so much trust in themselves because of the cycle of abuse. They don't know what's real and what's not real. And that's where they end up feeling really stuck when they're in it. And I was, I think I said this to a client last week, and I mentioned it to you when we talked on the phone, you didn't fall, people didn't fall, women didn't fall in love with an abuser, right? They fell in love with somebody that they could not predict at the time would be treating them a certain way, right? You fell in love with this person and there was a lot this person brought to the table that made you decide that this person might be a good fit as a partner in our life. And so really the abuse comes out over time when we're already hooked in, when we've already weaved lives together with this other person, when we've already planned a future with this other person. And so there is real love there. And then that opens a little bit of tolerance for the abuse in the beginning. And it's, we start to kind of make excuses. Oh, this is a red flag. I don't like this, but he loves me so much and he's a good man and he's a good person. Let me tolerate this or let me try and talk about this or maybe it will change. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so a lot of women have this shame. They have this guilt of like, how did I get here? I should have known better. I should have been smarter. But I want to correct that myth. You could be the smartest woman in the room and find yourself in this situation. So the the destigmatization of it is very important to know that this could happen to anybody. And it transcends socioeconomic borders, educational borders, racial borders. It's just you know, oftentimes in these situations, do you find that you're dealing with, you know, you're met with narcissism on the other side? I mean, are you, you're dealing with, and, and that breeds a whole new slew of questions. What are the flags to look for? Like you say, no one falls in love with an abuser and no one falls in love and with the possibility of this is going to go south really quickly. Um, and then when you are having those questioning moments of, how did it happen? What didn't I see? And the, and the blame comes in. Um, well, how do you identify the red flag? So a twofold, a two-part yeah. question, you know, who are, who are the stereotypical perpetrators of this abuse? And on the flip side, what do you need to be aware of when meeting people? Yeah, great question. So first thing, yeah, we do see a lot of narcissists. Um, fall into the category of abuser, right? They have a really hard time seeing how their actions can impact their partner. And they really think it's all about them. So they don't really have the capacity to see how their behaviors 
are causing a level of distress that they need to worry about or change. Like they may think I don't need to change. She's the one that needs to change. They filter everything through their perspective, their point of view. They lack a lot of empathy in cases. On the other hand though, sometimes um, the abuser isn't a narcissist and just has really low emotional intelligence, right? They could be very smart in some other ways, but they may not really be capable of understanding other people's emotions, putting themselves in other people's shoes, um, picking up on social cues, right? Um, also, an abuser may have witnessed this in their own home. And this might have been a model or a template of like how relationships work from the family they grew up in. Maybe they saw this happen between their parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles. Um, maybe they've endured some type of trauma maybe in childhood of themselves and they don't they've never healed that wound so i think it typically the abuser could fall under the category of narcissist sociopath whatever it may be but there's also other people out there that are they're not healed in themselves and they are so dysfunctional in the way they have a relationship so you know, Justine, the older I get personally, the more I'm aware that emotional intelligence is probably more important than your, your EQ is more important than your IQ. If I was trapped on a desert island, I'd rather be with emotionally healthy people more so than the smartest guy in the room, you know, who could probably figure out how to get off the island because Absolutely. you have more fun with the other people for sure. Um, but talk about that for a second because we hear so much about this word narcissist or narcissism as a concept. And I think, um, I think there's, you know, there, it's a misnomer sometimes. I think sometimes people use it liberally and then don't realize that this is an actual thing. And I think one of the benefits of the access to mental health through social media and, and all the platforms out there is that it could really help in giving an education that, you know, it puts a name to what many people are dealing with. Um, you know, if, if you ever gone one on one with a narcissist, you you probably would think you're crazy. You would think this can't this can't be real. So it has to be me. Yeah. Um, but explain to our listeners out there today what it means to be a narcissist and and the clinic in a clinical sense because yeah. it is a real thing. Absolutely. And I want to say too, I think um, the word narcissist has become very popular in media yeah. and we love saying she's a narcissist just like the word bipolar had a moment we'd be like oh she's so bipolar like that's it have a moment. i agree with you <laughs> so narcissist had a moment <laughs> too yeah and then everyone's wrong and it's you know it's weaving its way into like taylor swift and everything yeah it, it's but but i will tell you on the flip side i think for so many years people that struggled with people now have you know, words. you know, they, they have words for it. So again, and I'm not about overgeneralizing or casting this blank on everybody, but let's break it down to what yeah. it really is. So what is, I remember like in my training, what I was surprised by when I'm learning about narcissistic personality disorder. So narcissistic personality disorder is a, someone's born this way or we're predisposed to developing this personality disorder and life circumstances really brought it out of them. Um, and deep down, it's hard to believe these people are extremely insecure. Mm -hmm. 
So we could never imagine a narcissist being insecure because we think they think so highly of themselves, but at their core is low self-esteem and insecurity, believe it or not. And that could have come from their own life experiences, childhood experience, whatever it may be. But a narcissist, if we're looking at like narcissistic personality disorder, they often have like an unreasonably high sense of self-importance. They mm -hmm. might require a lot of admiration, words of affirmation, maybe a lot of attention. They're really reactive when attention is taken from them. And, and we'll put this in a relationship context. Maybe a narcissistic partner can't really tolerate when you're paying attention to someone else, even if it's a child, right? Like it's not just the, the angry husband getting mad at the wife for becoming friends with the male at work. And now the wife's paying attention to this male friend. If the attention is taken onto a kid, a kid enters the scenario and you take attention from the narcissist, they're not so happy. It could be as small as you get a dog and the dog's taking up the attention. The narcissist doesn't like the attention coming off of them. Um, they really value achievement and they want to be recognized as superior. And that often shows up in a relationship too. They want to be the more achieving one in the relationship. And they sometimes act in ways to keep the partner down, to keep that superiority. The partner has a hard time maybe launching her career, maybe going after her dreams, maybe educating herself in a certain way, because now that's a threat to the narcissist. The narcissist doesn't like that. I also want to keep in mind, the narcissist isn't always consciously aware of this about themselves. Like they don't know that they're acting this way. I just want to put that out there too. Um, a narcissist is the outcome. So is, is the person living on the other side of this? Mm -hmm. I mean, trying to tie it back into mm -hmm. to the topic of discussion today. Yeah, yeah. When does it cross the line and become abuse? great question. So there's a cycle of abuse that I can get into, which might be helpful for people to like check in and be like, oh, this sounds familiar. And these are some of my red flags. So, you know, in the beginning, there might be a honeymoon phase, like any relationship has in the beginning, right? You're falling in love, you're getting to know each other, you're excited, things are going really well, maybe a red flag here and there, but nothing too significant. And then enters this tension building phase. Um, and this is where the abuser might pick fights, um, be kind of become a little critical, maybe act jealous or possessive. They could be very moody or unpredictable. So there's some tension building and the victim of the abuse is starting to notice like, this is a change. This isn't really what I thought he was like, but they're not so worried about it yet. And then after this tension building, um, there comes the explosion at some point. So this could be actual physical violence, or it could be the emotional verbal abuse, right, that comes up. But the abuser might start to blame the victim for provoking the abuse. Well, I reacted this way because you deserved it, or you made me mad, or you pushed me to this limit, and really blame the victim for this explosion of abuse, right? Um, and the victim might be kind of in shock, like, oh my God, I've never seen this side of this person, especially if it's physical abuse. They're like, wow, I never thought I'd be in this position or same with verbal. I never thought he would 
start to say these things to me or control me. There's a lot of control going on that we want to look out for. Um, often the victim, to go back to the tension phase, feels like they're walking on eggshells. Like, I feel like something's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to be very specific to take care of this person's emotions so they don't erupt. I'm going to do everything they want. I'm going to let them have control. And I'm going to kind of be isolated and keep this all a secret from anyone knowing that I'm kind of worried about this explosion. So then the explosion happens. And so then the victim, once the explosion happens, is very confused because they're like, okay, maybe this is a one-time thing and I'm going to excuse this. Maybe we can work through it. Maybe it will never happen again. And then enters the honeymoon phase all over again. And this is when the abuser really tries to apologize. They promise to change. Um, they might give lavish gifts or they might be like, "I, you deserve the world. I, I'm the worst person. Let me take you on this vacation. Like do whatever they can to remedy and get back into this honeymoon phase. So then the victim's confused. The victim's like, okay, now what? Like we're back here. He is a good guy. Things are going well. I forgive him. It's not going to happen again. And then time goes on. And the cycle could be weeks or years, right? It's not predictable, the sequence. And then we enter. Oh, I think that sometimes they tend to, the frequency to, um, increases and the, yeah. the the time between onset tem, tends to decrease. Um, and, and, and again, thus that, but you, like you said it best, that initial reaction is, oh my God, you know, this is, this is not, this is not him. Like this must be me. So therefore that's where, you know, there's that shift in you. And also you want to believe the best in people, especially a person that you, that you fell in love with. Um, but over time, and there's been a lot of attention given to this recently, um, there are so many physical effects that, that, are yielded from this being in that constant fight or flight mode. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way you're escaping that physically healthy. It, no. you, just, you can't, um, cortisol levels, stress, you know, everything from weight gain to fatigue to, um, and so many things. I mean, how do you, um, what do you say to that? Like the long, the longer you stay part of this cycle, there are consequences you're going to pay for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We see depression. We see anxiety. We, and you talked about the arousal, right? We arousal, we become like hyper aroused, always waiting for something to happen. Right. Um, and that impacts the ability to sleep, that impacts the ability to work, to focus, or our nervous system is on edge. There's a lot of shame, self blame. There's a lot of isolation. Like the victim doesn't want to talk about this cycle with anybody because they love this person. And you know, they're kind of ashamed that they're stuck in this right now. But yeah, there's long term effects. There's PTSD, right? There's right. trauma. Like what has gone on? It doesn't just have to be physical, like a physical attack that leads to the PTSD. There could also be emotional impacts that lead to PTSD that unfortunately, a lot of um, survivors of abuse have to heal and because they will carry it into their next relationship down the road. So how, so 
how do you heal? You've outlined this beautifully, the cycle. Um, you know, I, I think, and obviously, hopefully people out there listening who might be impacted on this, you've put a name to this. You've put, you know, you're making it tangible and concrete and it is a form of abuse and you do need to get yourself help and you do need to extricate yourself from the situation. So is the answer leaving your partner? Is it fixable? What do you do? You find yourself here. What's the next step? Yeah. So in as a couples therapist, you know, we're trained to assess for domestic violence or emotional abuse, right? And if we pick up on it, we do not treat a couple in couples therapy if we suspect there's domestic violence going on because we don't know if they're going to get beat up after the session. We don't know, like we can't, you can't treat a relationship when it's this dysfunctional, right? And, and the option is to leave, right? When, if it's truly abuse, we want this relationship to be over, right? There's no, we need strict boundaries. You need to get out of that relationship. So then my treatment plan switches. How do I take care of the victim? to help her get her resources in line to safely leave this relationship. And I won't treat a couple. So couples therapy kind of goes out the window. So a lot of people try it and if the in and they don't share really with the therapist because it's so shameful and they probably know if the therapist is savvy and knows how to assess and can make that connection and finally discover and unpack there's a level of abuse and the whole treatment plan changes or if the one of the people finally reveals with their therapist that there's a level of abuse in some way, then everything changes, right? So we don't want the couple to be working couples therapy if they're a victim of physical abuse. We want them to get into individual therapy and we wanna connect them to their resources, perhaps a lawyer, perhaps um, a shelter if they have nowhere to go, who's their support system when they leave. There are so many agencies out there that specialize in this work. So if that, you know that individual therapist will hopefully connect them to that. Once they've made a plan of escape or leaving this relationship, then that's its own set of trauma, right? So now we've left the the person, but now we're traumatized of like, if we have kids having to deal with a separation or a divorce, how do we explain all this to our kids of what, what's going on? Is there a move? Is there a job change? Is there a financial circumstance? So this all can of worms gets opened up. Once all the dust settles and the victim feels as though they're in a safe spot and they're healing a little bit better, then comes deep work of trauma work. And for some people that might be EMDR, which is a specialized treatment modality for trauma victims. Um, it might be cognitive behavioral therapy to help the person deal with depression or anxiety. There's a lot of boundary work. How do we help this person learn how to keep and maintain boundaries with their abuser? How do they not repeat this pattern? So there's work to be done and healing to be done, but it's possible, right? People do come out of the other side of this and create a new chapter of their lives where they're resilient and they're recovering. And yes, there's these scars, but they also have hope that they can have another relationship down the road that is really more of what they deserve, if that makes sense. No, and I, and I think you're putting a lot of food for thought out there. Um, if anybody out there today is listening or watching and it sounds familiar, 
the best advice is probably going to be don't doubt yourself if something feels wrong in that pit of your stomach. And that's age old wisdom from your mom, let alone, you know, before you even get to a therapist or, or going to talk to friends or family. If something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. And there are, you know, you have to put a name to things sometimes and you have to accept, okay, this is what it is. Like, you know, you, you can do your best to say, no, I'm, I'm crazy or it's not that bad or it's not that bad. But you have to be able sometimes to put the label on it. And then once you do that, hopefully it propels you forward to take all the subsequent steps, which would be getting in touch with someone at, such as yourself. You are um, a resource that uh, you do see clients virtually, so you're not confined to this mm-hmm. New York metro area. How can people find you? Obviously, you're Ta-da, your website's right there. Um, uh, but but talk about your accessibility in terms of website and how people can follow you on that um, on your Instagram account. Absolutely. So I am licensed therapist in New York State, so I can see anyone virtually for therapy in New York State. That being said, I also offer what we call coaching services, where I do anxiety coaching. I do coaching for... Um, working moms that need support with managing stress. So outside of New York state, I'm able to do what we call coaching um, as long as it you know falls under the guidelines of um, what I can do with my license. Um, so my website has all that contact information there on social media. I'm thoughts from the couch and I have my podcast also thoughts from the couch. And if you know, anyone's listening to this and they're like, do I need therapy or where do I go? This is what's going on. Help me. I'm happy to talk to you. Um, And if it's via email or a quick phone call, just hear what's going on. And if I'm not the person that can help you, I'm happy to direct you to the people or support systems that can. That's wonderful. But you know, again, we all have to be mindful. First of all, we're living in such a different world than we even lived in five years ago. So, um, and, and even if, you know, some people think that therapy has to be forever, sometimes it can get you over a hump or through a hump and then you can walk away and then revisit if necessary. But I, I, I think everybody is going through something. I mean, at least if there is somebody out there living this euphoric life, I don't know them. Um, and I know it's one of the social media downfalls is there's so many people who put up all these happy photos. And usually those are the ones that are struggling the most <laughs> inside to keep it together. Um, but check in with yourself because um, you don't have to. You don't have to live. There's so many outlets nowadays. You don't have to live with these high levels of anxiety. And um, especially if you're a mom and and you have children out there, you you do your best to shield them. But if you're not, it's like you can't pour from that empty cup, the old um, airplane, putting the masks on yourself. But you've provided much food for thought today. Um, And as I said one more time, you know, in light of the month that we're in, um, a mental, mental, emotional abuse is is abuse just like physical. We all have stories, and seek help for yourself. There, you know, there are you don't have to live that way. So be aware if you know anybody struggling, please direct them to available resources. Be a friend. Be supportive. Um, that that's ultimately the most that everyone needs. So, Justine, I thank you. You were wonderfully insightful today. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you, Jen, for bringing this conversation to light. 
Thank you. We'll be talking to you again soon. So this is Jen Graziano thanking you for taking the time to listen as we took the time to talk. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.